0: Uh, it is so good to see you all here this morning. I am Shauna Boren, one of the associate pastors here at Woodland Hills, and I'm excited to be able to share with you a little bit today um, as we continue on in our Scandalous Love series. Scandalous Love is an adventure series that we started in the spring, and it's now summer, and we're still in it. We're still, <laughs> we're still talking scandalous love business. And I think um, there's a reason to that. I mean, uh, throughout the series, we've been looking uh, at God's love for us. We've been taking a look at what it means when we say God is love, and really having to dig away at um, each of our own experiences with that phrase, God is love. The reality is, is not everyone has a positive image of who God is and how he works in our life. And sadly, not everyone has a positive experience that they can talk about in regards to being loved. And so we've had to look at what that means when we say God is love, when the word says God is love, what exactly does that mean and how is that different than maybe what we've thought or what we've experienced for ourselves. So it's taken some time, and I'm glad that we have taken the time to really dig away at this. Um, Too many people um, have not been loved enough or have not been loved appropriately by others in their life. And so that definitely can cloud and taint your picture of love. And too many people have had um, distant or even harsh images of who God is, and that can for sure taint your image of God. Others maybe don't have that issue, but they feel like they have a good head knowledge of what it means when we say God is love, But it gets a little fuzzy when that's played out in day-to-day life. Maybe they feel like when things are in order, that God does absolutely love them and they can feel that very strongly. But then when things aren't going so great, they kind of feel like they've been deserted by God and he's nowhere to be found. That if they do and say and think and be all the right things, that God will shine his approval upon them. But if they mess up or something happens that is just not... Um, according to whatever image that we have that we're supposed to do or be then clearly God's going to be mad or disappointed in us. Throughout all of these messages I've really um, come with an open heart and uh, to really hear what God has been saying to me personally through this. Um, Also praying for you the body and all the people going through this in small groups. But I can honestly say that God has really done some work in my heart and in the hearts of, of the members of my family as we've really looked at this um, concept of God is love through the series of Scandalous Love. And what has stood out to me among a lot of things, but what's something I keep coming back to, and I'm not sure what week um, that this happened, but in, in one of his messages, Greg just made a simple statement, and he said that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing you could do that would cause him to love you less. And that may seem simple to some of you, but for me, that just, I don't know, that kind of rocks me, and I keep coming back to that. His love isn't based upon our performance, and it is never, ever conditioned by our moods. So whether we're feeling it or not... Whether we um, realize it or not, His love for us today, as we sit or stand, you in, in your chair, exactly where you are, the state in which you are in, His love for you is perfect. Today, His love for me is perfect. It can't get any better, and I can't get any worse because there is no there is no bad in that. His love is beautiful. His love is complete, and it's perfect today. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you again for, for who you are and how you do love us, God. Lord, I pray that um, you would penetrate hearts here today. Father, I pray that wherever um, people are, whether it's here uh, in the auditorium or, or they're listening um, over the web or on podcasts, wherever they are, that you'd be able to touch them in a way that uh, is uniquely impactful to them. And that you would be able to reveal yourself to them in fresh and new ways. That they would be able to fully uh, get a revelation of you and your love for them. I thank you for that, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm calling this message Transforming Love. It could also, I guess, be called Healing Love, uh, seeing as how that's kind of in the theme throughout our worship. Last night, I, um, after we were done and we were leaving the building, I said to Norm, you know, Norm, it's so cool how you and I, like, we don't, t- we don't talk as far as what I'm saying and what he's going to play. That doesn't happen. I said, we don't do that. And yet, the songs that you picked um, really line up really well with what I, what I want to say. And um, he's like, well, you know, Sean, it's kind of how God works. <laughs> Okay, duh. I mean, like, I knew that. I know God, like, knows stuff and he works, you know, but it's just, it was surprising to me. I don't know. Oh, wow, God, you actually had something to do with that or you care about that. I don't, I don't know why I was so surprised by it, but I was, so there. I don't know. So as I've been thinking about this transforming love, and I've been thinking about that statement that there is nothing we can do to make him love us more, nothing we could do that would cause him to love us less, I keep going to the book of Ephesians. And there's a particular uh, little cluster of verses in Ephesians that I want us to look at today. But before we do that, I wanted to give you a little context, a little background um, to this book, because to me it's important to kind of know why something is being said and to whom it's being said. And so you find in the first three chapters of Ephesians, the focus is really about Christ and his grace and his love as it's been given um, through his life, death, and resurrection. And because of his life, because of his death, and because of his resurrection, the dividing wall that once stood between Jew and Gentile was torn down and all become one in Christ. And then you move into chapters 4, 5, and 6, and there Paul goes into, I guess, an ethical, instruct, uh, an ethical instructions, that's a good way to say it, um, about practical ways in which the church, the, the people of God, can love one another. So the first three chapters are dealing with Christ and his life and his love and his death and his resurrection, and then chapters 4, 5, and 6 really deal with the practical ways in which we, that, that's played out in our lives, and the lives of the people of God. And right in the middle of that is um, this cluster of verses uh, from the end of Ephesians 3. And it's almost as if these verses serve as an apex. And if you can imagine a mountain where the first three chapters are, of Ephesians are leading up the mountain to the top of uh, what we call God is love. That's, like, that's the top. That's, that's the ultimate. And then coming back down the mountain, you find chapters 4, 5, and 6 in which um, Demonstrating how this love has played out in our lives the problem is we need all of that, but the problem is too often when we talk about uh, Becoming a disciple of Christ. We start with chapter 4. We focus on behavior and We that's where we begin to measure and judge and assess our own behavior and the behaviors of others and use those behaviors to determine uh, Where people people's maturity in Christ whether or not they're mature And that's kind of, I guess, understandable, because we, uh, for the most part, are practical people. And we kind of like to know um, some steps that we can take, some practical things we can do um, in order to demonstrate that we believe in God and that we love him and that we want to follow him. Um, But the problem is that's not where Paul starts, because he knows that if you start there, if you start with behavior, that you really do kind of miss the point. Because discipleship is not about do's and don'ts. Discipleship is not about making sure you do all the right things and don't do any of the wrong things. That's not truly discipleship. Discipleship is really ultimately about being loving. And the only way in which we can truly be loving is to understand love, to actually get love, to actually be able to receive love. You can't be loving unless you've been loved. And like I said earlier, so many of us have had um, warped perceptions or warped experiences with that love, so clearly it's taken us some time to kind of dig away at all that and try to get to the truth of what God is really all about. And so let's take a look at these verses in Ephesians that I've been telling you about. This is Paul, and he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What we see here is Paul approaching the ultimate source of all, the Father, on behalf of people that he desperately wants to understand who God is truly like. What was happening at this time was um, although the Gentiles had become members of the faith, there were outside influences that were trying to get them to adopt Jewish traditions, kind of as a, a, a way to prove their faith. And Paul saw this, and he's saying, look, we can't worry with the behavior so much. What I really want you to get is who God is and how he feels about you. The word is used, I kneel, which, um, which kind of means giving up one's life. So this is not just a quick prayer that, that Paul is praying, like maybe you may do before dinner or before bed or something, I don't know. Um, but this is something he's, he's urgently wanting the people to get. So he's really he's giving up himself in prayer for the cause of a revelation of God to the people that he's talking to. It's kind of like he realizes that just because you've got all the facts straight and you maybe have some behaviors straight, um, it's not enough. And we've been through this series for several weeks, and we can kind of know or feel like we know that Jesus is the perfect expression of God's love. We may even be able to recognize and realize and be pretty confident in the fact that the cross is what agape looks like. Agape meaning other-oriented, self-sacrificial, choice-based love. We've been hearing that, and we can kind of know that, but until that, what we know in our head really reaches down and gets a hold of our hearts and transforms us, heals us in our hearts, and then starts to uh, play out in our life, we're really kind of missing the point. If we don't allow God to enter into our hearts and really transform everything that's going on there and really allow us to get, get this love, really understand this love, then we'll just continue to live our life with with the experiences that we know, and it's kind of an unending cycle, because everything that we know is just a limited portion of who God truly is. We won't fully get to understand what God's life and what God's love is all about, because too much of our own experiences affect that image. And so what we need is a new experience. We need God to interrupt that cycle of thinking. We need God to give us a new pattern give us a new experience to give us some new thoughts so that we can have some new understanding. And the best way I know how to um, illustrate this is just to share a little bit about uh, something in, from my life personally. Now I know I've shared a little bit about my history before um, and I'm not going to go into to all of that but I just want to say that basically um, my childhood was, let's just say, less than ideal. It's not too uncommon, sadly, but it is. It, it was a little bit less than an, um, ideal. And so there was a lot of dysfunctionality there and there was some abuse that occurred. And, and for all, all of those reasons and others, um, at the age of 13, I was adopted by a new family. So I, I got a new mom and a new dad. And that was, a, um, honestly, it was a life-changing experience for me. Um, it is something that I thank God for all the time. It is something that really helped to shape me. Um, it was just a, it was a turning point in my life. And um, had I not had that experience at the age of 13, I really don't know that I would be the person that I am today. And so I'm very thankful for that. But you see, part of that experience is very easy for me to receive and walk in. Uh, having a, a mom who loved me and cared for me and was gentle toward me, that was very easy for me uh, to, to walk in and to accept. It was very easy for me to receive my mom's love and, and, and return, um, return that love to her. But my dad, on the other hand, that one was really hard for me. Not because he was an awful person, but just because he was a man. And my experience had taught me that men could not be trusted. My experience taught me that men uh, always were, were going to approach you um, in a way that was inappropriate or violent, Um, blessed and loving and for sure not very caring. And so I really was more standoffish toward him. Um, He was very gracious in all of this. I think he kind of knew and sensed that um, I I wasn't quite connecting um, as easily with him and he allowed uh, me to connect more with my mom and he was okay with that. Um, It was very hard for me to even refer to him by name I would just say to my mom, so is, is he going to be home? Um, is he gonna be at dinner tonight? Or is he going with us to the store or whatever? And she'd be like, yeah, Shauna, we're, we're a family. We're all in this together. And so they were very patient with me, um, but it did, it definitely took some time. And um, my dad was very diligent in just uh, showing persistence in trying to get to know me, uh, grace in trying to care for me, and, just, and, and teach me some new patterns um, and, and how, what it meant to relate to a man. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, I remember friends would uh, see my dad and say, well, who, who is who's that? Because I would never call him my dad. You know, I would just say, oh, he, that's my mom's husband. He, yeah, he lives in the house. He eats dinner with us. He That's just him. But I do remember very clearly when all that began to change. Um, Because of his persistence, because of his grace, because of his tenderness, and just because he cared enough to um, really pursue a relationship with me and teach me that that would be okay, that that could be a thing I could trust. I was at school and they called over the intercom and said, um, and for whatever reason, I was getting picked up early. I don't remember why. But anyway, so over the intercom, the receptionist said, you know, Shauna's dad is here to pick her up. So people were looking at me like, Dad? <laughs> yes, yeah, I didn't think you had one of those. Um, and I remember thinking, well, yeah, I, I do. My dad is here to pick me up. And, and it's kind of like, it was just kind of mulling over my head. My dad is here to pick me up. And I had these little butterflies in my heart, and I realized that I was excited that my dad was there to pick me up. My dad had become my dad, someone that I could trust, someone that I knew wouldn't harm me or hurt me or act inappropriately toward me, someone that would be my friend, someone that would be caring and loving and bring a healing that I desperately needed. That was my dad. And since then, my dad is one of my best friends. To this day, he is one of my best friends. We are very close, we text one another, we Facebook one another. He follows me on Twitter. I don't tweet, but he follows me on Twitter. <laughs> Whenever we go down to visit, um, he and I always end up, stay up staying up late and talking and giggling and laughing, and Scott and my mom just roll their eyes and go to bed because they know that I can't be stopped. We have a ton of little inside jokes and people look at us like we're absolutely crazy. It's hilarious, because just one phrase exchanged between the two of us, and we're both roaring, laughing, and people are thinking they don't get it. And they don't, because they're not privy to our experience. But see, God had to do that for me. God had to give me a new experience, a new way of relating um, that I desperately needed to bring healing into my life. And he did that through my dad, and I'm thankful for that. And I feel like the same is true today, that so many of us, we need a new experience. We need God to come into our, our heart and just transform us in such a way that we can live out a life in a new way. And that's what this prayer that Paul's praying is all about. This prayer is all about a desire for the reader to experience agape in a tangible way. Maybe your experience with love has not been good, maybe it's been less than ideal, but God wants to give you agape in a tangible way that is so different that it transforms you and it's new and it's fresh. This is not about getting a correct theology. This is not about having correct theories or correct facts. It's not about having the right head knowledge. This is all about an encounter with transforming love, that the people would truly encounter and experience God's love for them in a way in which they have never known before. And so Paul begins his prayer, and he says, I pray out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Out of his glorious riches, out of God's abundance, out of all that he has, because he lacks nothing, Paul is praying that he would strengthen us with power to be able to know some things. And, and where does this strengthening happen? How does this happen? It happens through his spirit. It has to be a personal presence that, that reveals God's love to us. This cannot happen by reading all the right books and getting all the right knowledge. Without this personal presence of God's spirit working in our life, We're left with a a good history of who Jesus was and the things that he did, and we're left with some really good uh, moral codes to follow, but it's not anything that could necessarily be life transforming. And so we need this personal encounter with his presence in order to really be transformed and become free to love as Jesus loved. And where does this take place? It takes place in our inner being. It, It happens from the inside out. It happens on the inside it's a deep experience it's something that's rich and deep and real it's not something that you can kind of point toward outwardly and say okay got this got this got this got this and now I know love and can be loving no it's just it's something that has to happen to you from the inside from the very depth of who you are and then why does this happen so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that he may dwell there. That means to live or to stay permanently. Um, it's, It's about residing, it's about lingering. Christ doesn't wanna just come to you once in a while. He doesn't wanna just come to you once to save you and then go about his merry way. He desires to dwell within your heart. He wants to linger there. He wants to linger there when things are going good and he wants to linger there when things are going bad. He wants to dwell within you. His presence wants to be with us at all times. He never turns a cold shoulder to us, nor does he ever uh, look at us and scoff at us at disappointment. He just wants to dwell and linger within us and be with us at all times. And this happens through faith. At some point, you just got to say, okay, I'm gonna, I, I may not even understand it all yet, but by faith, I'm going to allow God and his transforming love to penetrate my heart and change my life. Paul goes on to say, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This metaphor rooted, it's a very powerful metaphor. It is a metaphor from farming, and I'm just going to let you in on a little secret. I'm not a farmer. I don't know much about farming. Wasn't raised on a farm, uh, don't really want to know much about farming, and it's just not my thing. I'm a city girl. My husband was raised on the farm. He's a little bit different in that way. I'm not a farmer, but I do know this. I do know that in order for the plants, we'll just call them plants, to be good, (laughs) in order for the plants to be good and and healthy, and for the plants to produce good fruit, uh, the roots have to be good. The roots have to be established in good soil. You see, so many people um, have had their roots established in the soil of what other people think about them. Or they've had their roots established in the soil of what someone said to them that was hurtful or harsh. Or they have their roots in the soil of not feeling like they're quite good enough. Or maybe feeling like they're too good and they're too prideful. I don't, Whichever way it goes, that's not the soil of God's love. And so we're, what we're seeing here is that we need to have our roots, that we would be rooted in love, in God's love. Because you know what? That soil, that's good soil. That soil, the soil of God's love, God's agape love, that's rich in nutrients. That will feed you like nothing else, and you'll become pretty, pretty plants. Pretty, pretty plants. (laughs) Producing good, good fruit. This is a deep experience. It's a deep experience that goes beyond the surface. What you see up top may be well and good, but it's what's going on deep in the surface that's causing what you see up top. So many times you want to try to change people's behavior. If they would just stop doing that and start doing this or, or forget about this and remember that. And you see, that, that's only going to go so far. You've got to get at the roots of what's going on. And that's where the deep change happens. He also uses a metaphor from construction in, in, when he says established in love. And I'm going to let you in on another little secret. I don't know anything about construction. I'm not a... a const- I, I That's not my field of work. I don't even really much um, care about it. I appreciate it. I know it's necessary, um, but it's just not something that I'm passionate about. So at our house right now, we live um, in a set of, of townhomes and condominiums and apartments, and they're building a whole new set um, of townhomes and condominiums and apartments, and my boys and my husband are out there all the time just looking at it. They're just amazed by it. You know, the cranes and the, and the wood and the stuff, and, and I don't care. <laughs> I do not care. In fact, I just want the noise to stop because all that stuff is very noisy and I'm ready for it to start looking pretty. I just want it to all look pretty and not just wood and, and cardboard or whatever that's up there. <laughs> not cardboard that would be that's not very safe (laughs) i want it to be pretty but you know what no matter how much i want it to be pretty if that foundation is not good oh my word it's going to come falling down that much i do know i know that you that foundation is hugely important and so our foundation has to be rooted in love our foundation has to be the agape of god or else everything else that we build on top eventually will come crumbling down. It's so very important to have the proper foundation. It's unseen, again, but it's very powerful. Our core has to be founded in love. And when we get that right, then we can really begin to allow God to work through us. And this, um, just really quickly, he says it's for all people. No one is excluded. No one is left behind. This is for everybody to experience. And then he says something really cool here. He says that he wants us to grasp grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. He wants us to grasp this. When I hear this word grasp, I think of my daughter Afton, who is uh, 17 months old. And when she wants my attention, you know, she'll come up and raise her arms for me to pick her up, but, and I don't always have an opportunity to do it right then, uh, right when she wants it. Um, and so what she does is, is she will wrap her, first her arms around my leg, and just hold on tight. And then she'll pick up her legs and wrap those around my leg. So she, I mean, she's got a firm grip on my leg. And she will not relent. She will not let go. That's grasp. That's what that means. To seize. To hold firmly. That, that's, that's what that means right there. And so then I can pick Afton up <laughs> because she's grasping my leg so very tightly. She's caught in my attention. And I pick her up. And then she just wraps her arms around my neck. And she just grasps my neck. And she is just... Hugging on so tight, and in that moment, I gotta say, I I feel the love of God through my daughter so tangibly, and I and then I almost sad that I wait so long to kind of to pick her up and to and to have her embrace me and just and just to feel that it's it's a really cool, powerful thing. It's just a small way in which God um, is speaks to me, just in just the daily stuff, you know, with my daughter and her arms just wrapped around my neck It's his way. One of his ways of saying. I love you, that I am lovable. It's really cool. And so Paul is saying he wants us to really grasp this, get a hold of this, uh, and don't let go of it. Don't let go. Man, don't be denied. Uh, many times we unwittingly project onto God our own thoughts about ourselves. You know, we assume that because we think we are to this or to that or not enough this and not enough that, that that must be how God sees us. Or maybe we've had harsh words and hurtful things spoken over us or to us or about us. And so it's kind of natural that we may even think that that that's how God sees us. But if you could just imagine um, yourself looking in the eyes of Jesus and his reflection back uh, to you is not those things. It is not those lies. It is not those untruths. It's not at all how he sees you. And we need to get that that is not at all who we are, because that's not who he says that we are. We need to get a hold of that. And what is it that we're trying to get a hold of? It's the measure of his love. The measure of his love um, is so wide. It is so long. It is so high. It is so deep. There is no limits, actually. You cannot measure it it's immeasurable it's just all there and it's huge and it's abundant and it never ends his desire is for you his desire today tomorrow yesterday forever is for you his love is absolutely complete and it is absolutely unrestricted maybe you're one of those that hasn't been loved enough by people in your life Maybe you're one of those that wasn't loved appropriately by people in your life, but God's love is so not like that. It is absolutely complete, and it is absolutely unrestricted. There is absolutely nothing lacking in his love for you. And you can come to a point where you realize that he loves you just as you are and not as you should be, and that he sustains his attention upon you. He is absolutely mesmerized by you. Absolutely mesmerized by you. I don't know if you've ever been mesmerized by anything, but that's God. He is absolutely mesmerized by you. He could just look at you and stare at you, his attention just fixed upon you. It, just, it never gets old, it never gets tired. Not only does he love you, but he genuinely likes you. He thinks you're likable. Could you imagine? He can even smile at your silliness. There is nothing no action that would cause that to go away. When I hear this, I think about um, my five-year-old son, who right now is in this um, cycle of wanting to be handsome. It's very important to him that he's handsome, he, meaning that he dresses handsomely. So every day, it's this battle we go through, And Mom, is this handsome? Is it handsome enough? Could it be more handsome? Would this shirt be more handsome? Dear God, you are handsome. (laughs) I just want to say, you are handsome. And he's kind of stubborn, and so he won't let this go. The stubbornness he gets from his dad, clearly, (laughs) not from me, but he really wants to, I don't know why, he's just, you know, and he could be mismatched and he could be, you know, dressed in five layers and it's 85 degrees outside because he thinks that's what's handsome. And I just, it makes me smile because I I realize that it doesn't matter what he's wearing. He's always handsome to me because he's my kid, he's my son, and I absolutely am so in love with him. So when he wakes up in the morning and his hair is going every which way, which he gets from his dad as well. (laughs) He's handsome to me, I love him, I'm just delighted in him. And when he hasn't brushed his teeth yet or he's covered in dirt and mud because he's been running around playing or he's all put together looking handsome as could be, I absolutely love him. It's, it, it's unaffected. It can never be less. It's just always full of love. And, 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 and I can never, ever not love him. I just am so taken with him regardless of his physical state, regardless of his stubbornness that he gets from his daddy. I am just absolutely taken with this boy. I love him. And I know that that's how God sees us. Man, we've got some quirks. You all have got some quirks. You know what? This may shock you. I am not a perfect person. Shocking, I know. Right? That's shocking. <laughs>
1: Come
0: on. But I'm not. But the thing is that it doesn't matter quirks and all, imperfections and all, you know, past experiences and all, God's love is so beautiful and so perfect and so present for me, for you today. His love is reliable, it's relentless, and it's compassionate, and it's so complete and so full. You belong to him, and nothing or no one can pluck you from his hand. Paul closes by saying that to know this love that surpasses knowledge, he really wants us to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To know this love, to understand it with certainty. When you know this love, when you really know it, not just know it, but when, you re- when it's really gotten a hold of you, it trumps everything else. It trumps your bad attitude, it trumps your pride, it trumps your pain, it trumps your loneliness. It trumps your feelings of insignificance. It trumps what that person said about you. It trumps that hurt that you went through. It trumps everything, because His love is bigger than all of that. His love is so perfect, and it is so complete. It covers all of that stuff, and all that stuff can just go away, and then you can rest and relax and know that His love sustains you and stands. It surpasses knowledge. It is so far beyond our limitations. We cannot fully comprehend it. We cannot limit it. It just has to um, happen to us. We have to allow God's encounter to really get a hold of us and transform us from the inside out. And then when all that happens, we find ourselves filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the measure, not lacking anything. This isn't like you only have a cup of sugar and you need a whole cup. No. God's love and his, and his presence just fills us and fills us and fills us to the fullest measure of all who he is. And then when that happens, you begin to overflow his love, and love leads to more love. And so as you receive his love and you allow yourself to be filled with his love, with nothing lacking, you'll be filled to capacity, and then love leads to more love. As we truly begin to grasp that we are Abba's child, really grasp it, not let it go, that he looks upon us with perfect love and calls us his beloved. He calls us his guy. You're my guy, you're my lady, I love you, you're my daughter, you're my son. When we really begin to grasp that, we realize, you know what, it's so beautiful that we're not alone on this journey, we can't contain this, we can't keep it to ourselves. It has to be shared with other people. One of my favorite musicals is The Wizard of Oz. I've always loved it, still love it to this day, And I'm just always fascinated by Dorothy and her little dog, Toto, and how, as she's traveling the yellow brick road on her journey to get to where she feels like she needs to go to get back home, you know, she she realizes that she's not alone. She encounters the scarecrow, and she encounters the tin man, and she encounters the cowardly lion. And these people enhance her journey. These people really add something to, to her destination, to her journey. Um, I have always been kind of mesmerized with the scarecrow. I don't know why. I, I like to think it's because he dances around and stuff, and, um, but he didn't have a brain. So I don't know <laughs> what that's about. Uh, I don't think I really relate to that part. I just am really I'm mesmerized by him. But the point is this, is that um, just as Dorothy realized that on her journey down the yellow brick road, she wasn't alone, so also you and I are not alone in our journey. As we have allowed God's love just to fill us up, to do that healing work, to do that transforming work, it's gotta spill over. It's gotta, gotta fl- flop onto other people. We are a people who are made to be in relationship with other people, and that's what real discipleship is just letting that love that we are so full of just pour onto other people. There are people that you will encounter that need the healing that you have received. There are people, whether you realize it or not, that need the very thing that you have. That love that you've received from God, that healing, that transformation, they need that, and you can be the one to give that to them. We all need the healing touch of Jesus. We all need to receive it, and we all need to extend it. So whether your life is all put together, you still need the healing touch of Jesus, and you need to give that out to others. Or maybe your life has fallen through the cracks and some things aren't going your way, maybe because of, you know, you lost your job, or you've encountered, you know, the ugliness that can be the human condition, or, you know, your dreams have been shattered. Regardless of the state that you are in, whether it's a state of grace or a state of disgrace, we all need the healing touch of Jesus. And then we need to extend the healing touch of Jesus. Understand that God loves you. He lives in you. He dwells in you. He calls you and he saves you and This is something that is unlike. It's so beautiful. It's unlike anything that you've ever known And he desires to heal you and it's a continual thing. He desires to heal you heal those places Where you don't quite see yourself as he sees you a few weeks ago a friend of mine loaned me a new CD And I didn't really have time to really really listen to it until I was preparing for this message and I came across this song, I felt led to, to listen to this one particular song, and it just, I just knew that, um, that it went along with what I wanted to share today. And so I'm going to ask you guys just to take a few minutes and listen to this song that we're going to play right now. The words will be on the screen, so if you want to know what, what, what's being said, you can hear that. But just let the Lord speak to you um, and give you his touch through this song. This is Pray, excuse me, I pray that that, man, can help set you free. As the prayer team comes forward, I just want to bless you and pray a little closing prayer over you. And if you need anything, uh, prayer for anything, please come forward and, and meet with the prayer team up here. But may you experience the wonder and beauty of yourself as Abba's child. May the felt presence of God be more real to you than the chair you're sitting in. May you go now and do what you need to do. Having let love transform you, go and love others. Go in transforming love. Go with transforming love. Go because of transforming love. Thank you.